William Red Martin never thought he'd climb through a cloud. If he had ever given the idea a second's worth of thought, he probably would have said such a thing wasn't even possible. But, by God, he'd done it. Now he could tell everyone until the day he died, I climbed through a cloud on a volcano in the boondocks of the Philippines. Whether they believed it or not was up to them. Red would know the truth of it. He'd ended up on the side of this volcanic rock amidst the very clouds because he was a damn fine climber. Red grew up in the Appalachian Range of West Virginia. He'd spent a boyhood scrambling along cliff edges and tiptoeing his way to the very edge of oblivion, with only a couple of broken bones to show for it. When Captain Lawton had asked for volunteers to climb hard and fast, Red had raised his arm without thinking. After a couple of seconds, he wished he had noodled out the why a bit quicker. Once Lawton had 20 volunteers, he pointed to a ledge 150 yards straight up. Red could tell from the angle this was one of those one-wrong-move type situations. He did not intend to make such a move. The Moros had been in the volcano's crater for months now and had recently pushed their luck too far. Colonel Scott had been willing to overlook some horse-thieving and banditry, but General Wood was not so forgiving. He decided harsh lessons needed teaching, and so on the 5th of March... A hodgepodge army of more than 700 U.S. and Allied troops moved out against Bud DeHoe. If Wood had thought the show of force would be enough to move the thousand or so people down from the volcanic stronghold, he was wrong. The last couple days, Red and the rest of his unit had spent hours rooting out traps and strong points from the hillside. It seemed as though every time you turned around, a little German Tato with his razor-sharp wavy sword would come screaming out of the brush. These bastards were so fierce that one or two rounds sometimes weren't enough to put them down. Red had lost count of how many Moro men had to be shot and bayoneted a half dozen or more times to make sure that they were dead. Over and over, the unit would move up a trail only to find a barricade. Then there'd be a rustle in the brush, and some Moros would come scurrying forward, firing stolen rifles or ancient muskets. Then, with a burst of speed, they'd drop the gun and fling themselves onto the Americans. Desperate hand-to-hand -hand fights had men swearing and screaming as they choked, stabbed, or bashed their attackers to death. The higher they climbed, the more dangerous these scuffles became. If a Moro could drag a man off the side of the mountain with him he wouldn't think twice. Progress had been slow and costly, but by the 7th of March, the final push for the summit ridge was in sight. That was when Lawton had called for his individual volunteers. Their job was to shimmy up the last leg and secure the rim for the rest of the unit. Red retied his boots and made sure they were as tight and snug as could be. Then he and the other 19 men fanned out into something like a skirmish line, with about 10 yards in between each man. The idea was it'd be hard for the Moros, with their limited guns, to pick them off. Once at the top, Red and the others could form up, clear the area, and wait for the rest. After about 10 minutes, the ground had split up the best climbers from the okay ones. 
The dirt and gravel underfoot shifted and gave way. The hand purchases crumbled or broke right off. There was no clear way up, and at a 60-degree angle, it was no time for guesswork. Red was taking a breather and assessing his next foothold when he heard a great clattering bang off to his left. He snapped his head around to look so quick for a second he lost his balance and swayed dangerously backward. Red quickly flattened his body to the mountainside and recovered. Then he heard the same shattering bang, this time much closer and to his right. It mingled with a scream, and then sliding and thudding past Red was the shredded body of Max Nelson. Max had clearly run into a Lentakis trap, and it had cost him his life. The Lentakis were like homemade blunderbusses from the pirate days. Big-barreled and jammed with shrapnel, rocks, and even seashells, they could be damn deadly close up. The Moro had booby-trapped the entire cliffside. That wasn't all, as, as Red found out pretty quickly after Max tumbled away. The defenders had used the Lentacus surprise to draw attention away from the crater rim itself. While the climbers weren't looking, the Moro had moved into position several boulders and were even now rolling them around to take aim. High above the ground in the very clouds, Red realized he was about to get squashed like a bug by a damn big rock if he didn't act fast. Quick as he could, Red started climbing, but instead of going right up, he zigzagged. He was hoping it would keep the Moro men with their boulders from getting a bead on him. Then came the crack and buzz of the crags from down below. The rest of Lawton's men had started giving covering fire, sending 30 caliber rounds skyward. Now afraid he might get winged by a well-meaning pal, Red moved even faster and lower. He'd somehow channeled his inner snake and was slithering right on up the mountain. About 20 yards from the top, Red stopped and collected himself. He'd found a little dugout and made himself as small as he could. He unslung his own rifle and shakily fixed the bayonet. His hands were fluttering from the effort of the climb as much as from the fear in his belly. He took a moment, inhaled deeply... Then, while exhaling in one motion, he swung out and up towards the ridgeline. Pop! Down fell a Moro, the body disappearing back into the crater. Still exhaling, Red twitched the rifle to the left, and another pop! This time, the target just crumbled to the ground, a red mist where the Moro's head had been only a second ago. Too focused on the crest of the crater to care what was happening around him, Red sprinted for the open space in front of him. Shots zipped and whizzed by, but he wasn't sure from where or if they were at him. He just did his best to stay low and find the right places to step. As Red made it to the ridgeline, he had to pull up fast, almost throwing himself backward off the cliff. There wasn't much room at all at the top. Steadying himself, Red worked quickly, got to one knee, and swung to his right, but he only saw the blue and tan of friendlies. He exhaled again and turned to his left to find a Moro with a short barung sword. The large, leaf-shaped blade caught the sun for a second as it came slicing in a great arc towards Red's face. But just then, cracks from behind and in front of Red rang out. The Moro's whole body lifted off the ground and flew out into the sky. 
Then it disappeared into the clouds below. Red and the rest of the climbers, minus the two that had fallen and one man that had been wounded by a spear and had headed back down, cleared the crater crest. As they waited for Lawton and the others, Red peered into the crater itself. There were some crude defensive positions, but mostly he saw huts and animal pens. More troubling was the number of women and children he could clearly make out. He'd been on enough punitive campaigns around Jolo and Sulu and the rest to know where this was going. Soon Lawton would give the order to clear the crater. Before the men went in, there'd be some artillery fire and maybe a machine gun or two would be hoisted up to the crest. Everything at the bottom of that crater was going to die, and Red would do his bit. He didn't like it, but years of living in Moroland had hardened him. He'd seen too many friends dead and chopped to bits. Too many with wounds they'd never recover from because some clever little Moro had rigged a bamboo stake to shoot up from the ground. Worse still was seeing a good friend's lifeless eyes wide with his genitals cut off and stuffed into his mouth. Red had also made too many hard choices, too many dark choices, that if he let regret settle or second thinking start now, none of it was worth anything. But it had been for something, thought Red, as he slapped the butt of his rifle into his shoulder. The U.S. Army was there to give the Moros God, freedom, and law. And they would damn well get it, whether they wanted it or not. The Moro were going to get civilized, even if it killed them. Red picked out a target down below. He knew it was a Moro, but from that far away, that was all he knew. Then he squeezed the trigger. <laughs> 